G'day and welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. Thanks for joining us again. My guest today is Belle Binder. Belle grew up in a low-income community housing environment and faced a multitude of challenges. However, she was determined to rise above her circumstances and pursue her dreams. She ventured out into various industries and developed a diverse skill set. It wasn't until she discovered the agriculture sector that she truly found her calling. Belle felt a profound connection to the hardworking individuals who cultivated the land and became inspired to contribute to the improvement of their workplaces. In 2023, she was both humbled and honoured to be named the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award State Finalist in Tasmania and to receive the AgriFutures Encouragement Award for Tasmania at Parliament House in Hobart. With the support of the grant that accompanied the award, she developed the Calm Your Farm Workshop, which aimed to further promote positive workplace cultures within the agriculture industry. Upon receiving an accurate diagnosis and starting medication for her own mental health, as well as obtaining support for her dyslexia, she gained a broader understanding of mental health challenges. Belle is grateful for the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of others despite the challenges she's faced. I'd like to thank you for joining me but enough from me I'll hand over to our guest today Belle. Your business leadership pathway what did what does that look like? Well I actually am not a farm girl I feel like I owe it to everybody to say that straight up. So three years ago um uh, me and my husband were actually looking for businesses that were for sale that were in distress and we have our own individual sets of skills that we could bring to the table to make them successful again and then resell them. So that was our headspace roughly three years ago. And we came across uh, a labour hire company in farming. It was run by an old retiring couple. It was... Um, Business-wise, it wasn't very functional. They were rostering from a week-to-view diary to give you a little bit of <laughs> an idea of how dysfunctional it was behind the scenes. But they weren't distressed and they were actually making money. So we thought, well, there's only surely an upside. I had a really strong branding and marketing background and I thought this is going to be really fun. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be good. And so it wasn't long before I kicked my husband sideways and said, no, nah, I got this. You, you go do your thing because he's a CEO of a huge company. So I'm like, no, nah, off you go. And I uh, rebranded it left field because it was a bit left field. I, um, I'm from a small town, but it is a very small city technically. So it's not like a farming community, but we are surrounded by farms everywhere. So this is sort of the central hub to the farming community. And um, so I thought, yeah, I've got this, I'll kick him, off I'll go, I'll call it left field because this is a completely different direction that I was going. I'm not from a farming background, so it's just completely random. So that's that's why left field to begin with. Um, I decided pretty quickly um, that I actually loved it. I loved the industry. I respected the people in the industry. They were genuine hard workers that went out and just fought hard for what they wanted that resilient and I I really respect those values in people and it just it was just that's the farming community and and I don't want out <laughs> I want in I want in on this and so I started to see the same sort of problems popping up a lot and there wasn't a lot of synergy between the farmers and the workers themselves, there wasn't a lot of mutual respect. And and I thought, why? What, I'm pulling this apart and questioning everything. And most of the time people, oh, well, that's just what it is. And 
you know, you, you can't do anything about it. And I would say, well, why? Why can't we do anything about it? Why can't things be done differently? Why isn't there a selection criteria when we're looking at workers? Why is it that if you've got a heartbeat, you start tomorrow? Why? Why? Why do we do that? Oh, we have to. We need the workers. We can't be fussy. Oh, you try and find someone that's not like that. Blah, 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 blah. Part of that response talks about you wanting to start something different and instead of finding a business that, that you could do up and, and then sell away, you, you bought into a, a going concern that was profitable and you think you could take somewhere, you thought you could take somewhere, sorry. And you also mentioned culture, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit as well um, in this discussion. But before going on to that, and I'm, I'm interested to find out this in particular where you are in your your business and leadership journey, how do you define leadership, mate? For me, and there is a quote, and I, I won't quote it because it's quite long, and Brene Brown actually brought it back to life. I, who is it? The, the Roosevelt, I think it's, yeah, that's where it comes from. But essentially uh, what they talk about is an arena. A leader stands in the middle of the arena. Everybody else is on the outside cheering or booing or throwing things. And so for me, a leader is the person standing in the arena, willing to be hit and still standing there and still going strong. So for me, to be a leader, you need to be willing to stand right in the middle of the arena, not stand on the sidelines and stand for what you believe in, if that's what you're going for, stand for the goal you're trying to achieve. And I think that's a personal thing. Everybody's got their own motivation. But whatever your motivation is, you stand there and you don't get knocked down and you stand there strong and you find other people who come stand in the arena with you. That that makes a lot of sense. And it's um, I don't necessarily view that as an isolating thing. I think when you decide no. to take the step to be the person who's going to call ultimately the, the shots at the end by that, I mean, decision-making then, yeah, it's got to be you on your lonesome and that, that has its, um, its benefits and its um, cons, I guess. I want to um, explore this a little bit more if we can. Uh, I, I don't know if this is the right term and, and you can correct me if it's not, but it sounds like you in some ways tried to disrupt the way you recruited people and the way you engage with the workforce that you wanted to engage with. And I heard the word why a lot of times at the, at the start of this discussion, and it's not a bad question to ask, but in asking that question, did you dig up some things that you found good, bad and ugly, or was it a, a complete new area for you to learn? And like, what, what did that look like for you, Belle? It ruffled feathers, I can tell you that, to the point where I think some people were getting angry with me. They did. Um, so I even people that were applying for farm work when I was initially doing this um, in the early stages three years ago, it was basically, how dare you? I, it's just a farm job. I would literally have people apply and go, it's just a farm job. I, why do I have to do X, Y, Z? So it wasn't long before I got a name for myself, but I actually, that motivated me more. It's like, well, that's the sort of person I absolutely don't want in my culture. And it's, this is great. This is working perfect because it's weeding all those people out. And the more questions I ask, the more it annoys those people. And it's doing my job. It's not wasting my time. This is fabulous. Um, I did find that there are a lot of Centrelink box tickers um, applying for farm work. And so my first, that was the first thing I did. How can I make it 
so annoying for those people that they can't be bothered applying for a job at left field. So that's actually where it stemmed from. Where, how do I get rid of these tie kickers so they're not wasting my time? Yeah, sure. I, that, that's understandable given you want to make a success of what it is that you're doing and not uh, wasting your time or potentially wasting their time because you're, you're not hmm. there to fulfill some other role other than to provide a, a, a decent place to work. I, I really want to unpack this a bit more if we could. Now, when when you talk about culture and there's a lot of literature around what good culture looks like, what bad culture smells like and sort of everything in between, do you think when you started the business that you started that you wanted to create a culture that was more reflective of you at, at, at its core or did you try and adapt the culture that was there? Because you said there was some pushback and I'm not going to ask you who pushed back because that's not, that's not the tenor of the podcast and this is about you. So I want to I pick your brains if I can. Was it a shift to a new culture in your mind? Was it an adapting of what was there or was it something else? To begin with, I had to make myself run the business as is for a year. I, I made that deal with myself. I made that promise because I'm a fast mover. I literally do things yesterday. I haven't met anyone except my husband that can keep up with me, which is a good thing in business. It means I'm at the front foot usually. Um, but I promised myself, do not as much as you're going to be so tempted, I know you're going to, you can build it up in the background, ready to go, boom, once that year's up, but you cannot make it look or feel any different for anyone for a year. That included workers, clients, um and all employees um in the business so I promised that I wouldn't change it what that gave me was insight on the reality of where things were at so that kind of gave me a starting point of understanding the industry I knew nothing about the industry so that was another strategy around keeping it like that for a year it was also around the clients and the employees um, building that trust with me that I'm not coming in like a wrecking ball and going wee because I would have and that would have been too scary. I probably would have lost clients because it's too different. So I stayed like that for a year. Great advantage of that, like I said, was to understand the dynamics. And what I noticed was I wasn't well, I wasn't being respected. And this is going to sound sexist, but I think it was because I was a girl and I thought that I might have to prove myself. I look much younger than I am. I'm 42 next month and I know I don't look it. So I probably from the outside looked like, some young girl that doesn't know what she's doing and she'll fail. So I felt like I had to, yeah, I probably felt like I had something to prove in the early days. I'll, I'll admit that. Um, and I think people were surprised because I am, um, <laughs> I would say I'm a very strong personality and I can stand on my own two feet and I have a very strong sense of right and wrong, understanding that there's grey areas. But if I feel like something's not right, I will do what it takes to make it right. And that I was happening with the people that I had bought alongside the business. So I would say, if I'm really honest, maybe two-thirds to three-quarters of the employees are people I wouldn't employ today. And I knew in my heart that this isn't what I want and I need to start getting rid of the really poisonous ones, otherwise it's going to go down real quick. So there were some key people that within the week they were gone. 
Um, and then it just snowballed from there. I started to see the effects, cause and effect of certain personalities, certain decisions people made. Uh, I made decisions to get rid of clients that weren't aligning with my values or I wasn't getting the respect that I was giving them. Respect's really important to me. I think that's extremely important in culture. It's extremely important in your client relationships as well. It goes both ways. Uh, so, yeah, it was a very big clean-up phase in the first year. That was the only thing that people could see that was changing was I've decided that that's not something I want while I'm leading it. And after that year, then I could go gangbusters. I put in systems. You just went nuts. And the criteria and all those things. Yeah, two two things stand out. And, and thank you for that response. Uh, two, two things stand out in my mind in that response. One is about the client relationship and that any changes you will make you were making in the business had to uh, in a very big, bad way involve who your client base was. And I'm interested in that word, them aligning to your values. And that that's interesting because when clients don't, then you let them go. And I've, I've had a few guests when I was just doing the audio podcasting that told me, um, told me on the podcast and and went into more detail offline and stuff that I couldn't share, obviously, about why you make some of those decisions about who you let go as clients and the toxicity of some relationships where if you're investing everything to provide a a one-level service and you're not getting the respect back, and I mean, that would be things like paying on time and um, keeping up their end of the bargain in, in the relationship, that that makes sense for someone that um, doesn't play in this space um, outside of looking in. I think it takes a certain level of confidence in yourself to do that, particularly because people want an income and they want money to come in. And so if you place your own values above making an income, I guess it said something as you as a founder, as the CEO, as the head of the um, the whole operation. So that that's one observation on my part. The other one, that you talked about was giving yourself and the organization time to adapt to what it is that you were doing. And you said you consciously set out 12 months where nothing was going to change until you got a feel for what was going on. Did you share that approach with your staff or did you? Um... Well, there's only me and one other girl that I right. brought in at the same time. So in terms of head office, it it's not really like that um, in the business. We don't have people coming into the office having conversations. So it's a lot It's a lot different to say it's your standard company. Um, we obviously do have those touch points, but not like a regular workplace. So I really only had one, and she was a young girl. Um, she was a great little go-getter. Um, she moved on to become a mum. She runs her own business now. So that gave her the confidence, um, me showing her the ropes and and my knowledge was around business so I'm really proud of her um so we came in at the same time and we learned together so yes I'm I'm a very transparent leader and I would be if any of my employees um, from the farms came in I'm exactly the same nothing changes so yeah uh, Maddie that was who was with me Maddie and I um everyone's on the same level there's no hierarchy we work together she, there's nothing she didn't know that and Everything was explained. I don't just say do this because, and, and it's like that with my kids. 
we're doing it this way because blah, 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 and explain the whole process. So um, there's that clear understanding of why. So, so sharing the um, sharing that workload, I guess, means that you don't have to take everything on yourself, or at least uh, be in your head on your own. But where that's interesting is, at the end of the day, you're the one that still has to make the ultimate decisions in the business, and that 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 comes with its own uh, set of pressures. Now, when you talk about flight and you don't want to um, keep anything from your employees. If you had a bigger operation, do you think you would operate the same way or do you think you'd have to structure yourself a little differently? Oh, I don't think you'd have those touch points. And say if you had um, your upper management and your middle management and your people on the ground, you'd probably be dealing directly with your upper management uh, because they then have their team under them. But with those direct uh, managers, then yes, Absolutely. I think it's really important to have that transparency. I don't think you should be hiding anything because the more they understand, the more they can see the big picture on any anything that's going on in the business and the more they can contribute. They might have a different viewpoint on it. They're, they're working with different people in their position. They've got a different personality, different perspective, all of those things. And that would be a real shame to waste another perspective in a room if you're not sharing it. And you can't build trust if you don't have transparency. How are they going to trust me or how are they going to feel that I've got their back if I'm not being upfront and honest and transparent with them? I mean, <laughs> my poor mother always used to say I'm a bit too honest and I don't have to say everything that's in my head. Um, but I am a very open book. I'm transparent. I say it how it is and I try to be really nice about it. <laughs> but sometimes it's a little bit raw, I guess. But, yeah, I don't think I could live any other way, and I think it has its benefits. Um, some people, some leaders I notice are too scared to be that transparent. Um, I'm just not, and if that scares people, then they're probably not aligning with with how I lead, and it's probably best that they go and lead, uh, go with another company that leads differently. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I always operate and how I always plan to operate. I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. Yeah, it sounds like it. I, I, I want to ask because you've given some hints to the next area that I want to talk about if we can is about leader capability. So you talked about honesty, transparency. What other capabilities for you in your travels uh, as, as you've um, morphed into the leader that you are and, and the founder that you are what are the key leader cap capabilities from your perspective, mate? Well, it's definitely that trust, trusting that they know I've got their back and that they've got mine. Uh, I did an interview earlier this morning um, for, I think we'll be a new team member because our values align and that's the greatest foundation of all. You can teach the rest. Um I said, there's no bitchiness in our company. Uh, we're very transparent. If there's an issue, we discuss it and we come to a resolution. The, I'll always explain where I'm coming from and why and how it links. And I want everybody to feel like they're a contributor because I don't know everything. No one knows everything. And the more brains we've got around the table, um, the better. Like the outcome is that's the only thing I focus on is the outcome for the client and the employee. I feel like we've got two sets of clients in a way um, because if we don't have them on board and they're not happy, then we have nothing. 
I don't care about KPIs. I have no KPIs. I don't have a sales team. They don't exist. I have a team that goes and looks after our clients and see how we can help. That's it. They don't have to meet targets. There's none of this. And I think once you introduce targets, then things become disingenuous. Uh, they become data-driven. You start making decisions that aren't based on the best outcomes for the client or the employee, and it just gets yucky and it's not where I sit. So, yeah, communication, trust, um, and transparency. I think they're all extremely important. You've got to have trust both ways, respect both ways, communication always. Be excellent, open, safe. You've got to be safe to communicate and have that space to be safe. Um, and the transparency both ways. So I be transparent with you, you be transparent with me. Let's not be passive aggressive. Let's just say it how it is. If there's an issue, let's work through it. There's always a solution or a compromise. And I think without those things, you've got a disaster. It's got to be centered around people all the time. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, and, and again, thank you for that response. Um, makes sense given what you've, how you introduced yourself to the podcast. One, one thing of interest to me is do you, do you take time when you need to, and I'm not saying that this has to be a, a daily or weekly thing, but when you need to, to reflect, to reflect on how you're leading the people around you and, and how you're leading your business forward, is that part of your practice or, or do you take the position that you're that open and you'll talk about almost anything to do with your practice that you really don't? need that reflective time on your own? Do you, do you find yourself doing that, Belle? I don't really, no. Every now and then I might see the start of some issues occurring. So I might notice, oh, there must be a bit of lack of communication there because I can just see a tiny little bit of frustration in either body language or written um, because we have different people in different places. So a lot of ours is uh, over video call or messaging services. So I nip things in the bud very quickly. Um, so I'll address it either with individual or I'll say, hey, I think it'd be worthwhile if we catch up on a video call and just work through this because I can see that it's not working very efficiently and or there's a little bit of frustration on both sides. So it doesn't happen often, uh, but I am always watching uh, because I do like to nip things in the bud. If they fester, it's like, eh, it's not good. It spreads really quickly. So yeah, I nip it in the bud. I don't. I'll notice, yeah, I'll be watching, I'll be noticing, but in terms of me reflecting, oh, that's, I'm always thinking how can I, what can I do for other people that's of a benefit? So I'm always pushing people right to their limit. Um, I was talking to one of my colleagues earlier, Jason, and I said about pushing to limit, and he said, you pushed me off the cliff. <laughs> and I said, You've come so, so far though. Your, your self-confidence is incredible. You're tech savvy now. I know I pushed you, but it's because I knew I'd get away with it. And it was nothing to do with me and it was everything to do with you. And you're beaming. You're absolutely beaming. So, Belle, final question for you. Hmm. The nature versus nurture question, are leaders born or are they made? I honestly think it's a little bit of both. If I think about my upbringing, um, it surprises a lot of people that I grew up extremely poor. Uh, housing commission surrounded by poverty, um, substance abuse, the, the, the whole street was in the, all the families I interacted with. 
it, it wasn't a great environment to grow up in. There wasn't, there weren't careers, there wasn't leadership. So you you would think that that's not the ideal environment um, um, to produce anyone that's going to lead anything. But I think um, there were definitely personality traits that helped with that. I was always labelled as bossy, <laughs> um, saying what I thought. So that's probably helped me be a strong female leader. It's also given me some other labels along the way, but... <laughs> it's a little bit I think more difficult when you're a female with those traits they're sort of admired when you're you're a male but when you're a female you get sort of labeled probably negatively but um I couldn't help myself my mother poor mother tried she's very introverted and conservative and here I was extroverted saying whatever came out of my mouth without thinking so if it didn't work for her <laughs> it was probably a pretty strong trait so um, I do think that has helped. Uh, I did take on leadership roles in high school. That is because I was the nerd that nobody liked. Nobody believes that either. But in the 90s, in the early 90s and mid-90s, computers weren't a thing. There, were, there was a computer lab and it had maybe 10 computers in it for the whole school. I was one of about six that knew how to pack the computers to jump on Telnet onto a chat line to talk to people on the other side of the world. And I used to hack the catalogue computers out when the computer lab was shut and I'd be there before school, recess, lunchtime and after school because I didn't want to go outside and be on my own. So um, I put all my spare time into doing stuff. So um, I was canteen monitor, I was library monitor, I was peer support leader in grade 10, which meant you led a group of grade sevens in helping support them with their self-esteem and um, just generally at school, making them feel happy and comfortable and like they had the tools to survive grade seven, I suppose. And, and I thrived in that role, but it never really occurred to me that I was leading and I got really great feedback um, in my reports about that, that I was always, the comment was um, that I was always reflecting on how to be a better leader. And that probably describes me. I'm always thinking, how can I do this better? How can I be a better leader for everybody? You said, do I reflect? That's not how you think. It's how can I better serve Jason at work? How can I develop him more? I know he's capable of more. What's that look like? And how can I give him that push now in a little bit more direction. So I think it's been there naturally, but it didn't really come into play until I probably matured. <laughs> so it wasn't until my late 20s. I was a little bit of a horrible employee. I would chuck sickies all the time. I just wanted to party on weekends. This is the start of my working say career it wasn't really career um entry-level jobs I would party I would pull sickies and when I was at work I didn't have um great work ethic which you just you'd never imagine it now but in my late 20s something just clicked and I thought I don't want to do this I don't want to be like this for the rest of my life I'm going nowhere and I'm not contributing I'm just not being a contributor and my self-esteem was really low um and I think that was from the things I experienced growing up. Um, and it made me make decisions that 
I wasn't so proud of and I decided I wanted to make something of myself and so that's when I began my entrepreneurial journey I started to work for myself on a really small scale sole trader and it just sort of snowballed I guess from there and I got a taste for that and I loved doing things my way (laughs) no surprises there I loved having that control because I could see where it needed to go I worked quickly and I could get things done really quickly and it was easy for me I'm like why why is everyone way back there I entered an industry and I'd be like boom off she goes and everyone's still here and it's been the same with left field I I feel like I haven't been here very long but I'm kicking people in the dust and see see you later I can't wait for you guys I'm I'm going here in this direction and the industry needs xyz and I'm happy to lead it so I think something clicked in my, uh, my maturity I don't know, circumstances, who knows? That's why I think it's a bit of both. I think I've got the attributes there within myself. I'm happy to lead. I'm confident to lead, take control. I can see I can see what needs to happen and I can get people to do it. <laughs> so I, that developed, I think, over time. It was always there on a smaller scale. It grew as my confidence grew. Like I said, I had pretty low self-esteem, made some pretty crappy decisions in my younger days, in my teens and 20s. But I think once that maturity hit and that confidence grew, then so did everything else till I got to this point um, where I really ran a big company on my own for the first time, which is Leftfield. This is the first time I've had employees, yet I've had 200 this season and it doesn't bother me. So... I'm not intimidated by it. I'm excited by it. I'm energized by it. And yeah, if if I had the right people that fitted my values, then I could grow so quickly. But because I'm very protective of how I want it to grow, I'm, I've got all the patience in the world. But if I had the right people walking with me and in it the same as I'm in it, um, not so much the commitment. You can't be as committed as the owner of the company, but you know, you're standing there with me, you're motivated, you see the vision. Yes, let's do it. Um, man, I could be Australia wide tomorrow nearly. I've got, I know how to do it. I've got the motivation, I've got the drive, I've got the energy. I just need the people. That's the only thing holding me back is finding the right people to jump on the left board, a uh, left field train. <laughs> That concludes the podcast and I'd like to thank Belle for sharing her leadership pathway and insights with us today. Our next podcast guest is Dr. Leah O'Millian Hodges who will be talking to us about leadership and communications. So please have a great day, rest of your week and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.